You're listening to a History Hub podcast. History Hub is based at the University College Dublin School of History. For more information, go to historyhub.ie. In this episode, a paper recorded at Commemoration and Conflict in Ireland, 1920-1922. This conference took place in Queen's University, Belfast, on the 12th of June, 2017. The conference was organised as part of the Arts and Humanities Research Council-funded project Commemorating Partition and Civil Wars in Ireland. 2020 to 2023, in conjunction with the School of History, Anthropology, Philosophy and Politics and the Institute of Irish Studies at Queen's University Belfast. Commemorating Partition and Civil Wars in Ireland, 2020 to 2023, is a project run by Dr. Marie Coleman and Dr. Dominic Bryan that examines approaches to the upcoming centenary of the Partition of Ireland. All papers at the conference were recorded for podcasting by Real Smart Media and are now publicly available on History Hub. This episode features a response to Professor Richard Kearney's annual Irish Studies Lecture by Professor Morris Manning, Chancellor of the National University of Ireland. Professor Manning was introduced by Professor Peter Gray, Director of the Institute of Irish Studies at Queen's University Belfast. Richard, thank you very much for that extremely rich and stimulating lecture. Uh, it's um, a great privilege for me now to be able to call on another distinguished guest, Dr Morris Manning, Chancellor of the National University of Ireland, and Chair of the Irish Government's Expert Advisory Group on Commemorations to respond to Professor Carney's lecture. Ladies and gentlemen, it's always a pleasure, but it's even more always a daunting task to follow Richard. I've heard Richard speak many times from when we were colleagues together in UCD. When I was a member of the New Ireland Forum and you told us more or less how we could resolve a problem that isn't quite resolved yet, Uh, but it was, as always, worth listening to, and I've heard you talk in Boston College. So it's always a pleasure, and I don't think I've ever heard you give such an enthralling, compelling, a wonderful lecture as we've heard from you this evening. It was at times very moving. I found myself very moved, very wise, very insightful. And to follow on from the poetry of Richard, I'm going to have to go into the prose, maybe, of a certain reality. Uh, because I had the honour, along with my good friend Martin Manser, who's here, to be asked early on in the decade of centenaries to advise the Irish government with a group of historians uh, to, to advise the government as to how the state might best tackle the decade of centenaries. In the first five years, the experience has been extraordinarily positive. Not everybody would agree, but there was a pretty, for the Republic, a pretty huge consensus after the celebrations or the commemorations, and the word commemoration is the correct word, uh, of, of the, the Easter Rising uh, last year, and a claim from right across the world as to how the state had, uh, how that event had, had been executed, how it had been conducted and so forth. Now, not everybody agreed. There were those who felt that 1916 was an illegitimate act, that it had usurped the rightful place of the Irish party, that 1916 should not be commemorated. It wasn't the single most important formative event in the development of the modern Irish state. But for the most part, that was a minority but very respected view 
And one of the encouraging things was the emergence of somebody uh, that Richard mentioned, Tom Kettle. Tom Kettle symbolised the agony of many of the young people in 1916, those who had enlisted, Francis Ledwidge, you quoted as well. And it was quite extraordinary to see, to see in County Meath next week, uh, a memorial will be erected to uh, Francis Ledwidge. To see across Dublin on a number of occasions during the past year, well-attended events to commemorate uh, Tom Kettle, who was perhaps one of the finest, if flawed, characters of that period. And so the decade of centenary so far has by and large worked. At the outset, there was a great deal of cynicism if one read the letters columns of the Irish Times or the columns of Phoenix or many other reputable uh, publications. One saw this sense that, in, this was 2010-11, the government wouldn't want to tackle it. There were too many embarrassing questions. There were problems that most governments didn't want to tackle. The public might be interested, and most of all, it would be divisive. That proved not to be the case. And I can cite some of the things the government did right. First of all, in preserving the integrity of what happened. By appointing an expert advisory group, the government sent out a very clear message that the commemorations would not be hijacked by any group, including the government itself. And there were people who felt that to be in charge of the commemorations in an election year might be a bonus to people on other sides of the spectrum who hoped for a vacuum which they could fill if it wasn't done properly. So by setting up a group like this, the government gave a certain sense of assurance to people that this would be a national, a people's celebration, commemoration, uh, rather than something that had was the ownership of any particular group. But there were many other things that were done including the uh, incredible participation of all of the major cultural bodies, the huge involvement of local authorities in ensuring that virtually every county and often every parish in the country had its own commemoration, focusing in on how 1916 actually affected the people of these areas. The media played a huge part in sponsoring uh, scholarships and rather in, in, in sponsoring commemorative, commemorative publications and encouraging uh, local young people to become involved. But I could spend some time on this, but I, I won't, because I can't. But perhaps for me, the most important thing that happened and which reflected a maturity which was hugely refreshing and encouraging. And I remember, Martin, it was at a meeting in Thurless very early on in the proceedings and we were feeling the pulse, talking to people around the country. And I remember this meeting and what one expected was that the representatives of the various traditions would be edgy with one another, maybe competing a little bit for ownership of the event. Instead of that, there were veterans of the old IRA and old IRA families. There were descendants of people who had fought in the First World War, very many of them. Uh, there were some unionist tradition people there, others who were sceptical. But what I found extraordinary was the respect people had for each other. 
a sense of space they were willing to give different traditions to express themselves in a way that would have been unthinkable uh, even 10 years before that. And this wasn't the doing of politicians. This was, for me, a realisation that 1916 was no longer politics. It was history, real history, where people were curious, they wanted to find out, they wanted to know. And there was no sense. And they also wanted to be as inclusive as they could be uh, in including all the different traditions. And this was... Uh, reflected in the commemorations which took place uh, right around the country. And, and it, it, it was probably, more than anything else, what, what made the sense of a people at ease with its own past, or largely, at any rate, at ease with its own past, possible, something which I believe underpinned what happened last year. We're now, of course, moving in to the second part the decade and the committee of which Martin and myself are both members have once again uh, and is now with government laid out what we believe are the principles and the guidelines which should underpin the approach of the state. We were acting as advisors to the state. To the state. Uh, every other group, every other locality is of course free and will be encouraged to do uh, what they feel they can most appropriately do. Uh, but moving into this second phase is going to be more difficult. I, I don't think there's anything insuperable if the same sense prevails, and I believe it will. At the very excellent seminar uh, which was organised here this afternoon, I think it became clear that there will be difficulties, but there are also huge possibilities. And one of the principles which our committee emphasised to the government was the important importance of opening the archives, of allowing scholars get to work, to examine as, as far as possible, to produce the studies, the monographs and the major studies, the local articles, but to give the material to produce the studies which can give us as complete a picture as is possible of the events of that period. Not, as some might suspect, a sanitised picture. That never arose. We're historians. We have integrity. We believe that the truth is what, finding the truth, or as much of it as possible, is what historians do. Historians are not into propaganda or polemic. They're not working for any party. And I think we're very lucky in this country that we have an extraordinary uh, generation of young new historians who are seriously well-trained, who know how to go about this sort of research and who have the enthusiasm and, in many cases, the meagre, though it be, financial backing to do so. And that is why I believe that when, when we move into the disputed territories, very disputed events, everything in the second part is, to a sense, disputed. Uh, the foundation of the Irish state was followed by civil war. And the events that split did, to a great extent, determine the shape of Irish politics and the temper of Irish life, Irish political life, for decades afterwards. In Northern Ireland, partition is, of course, the beginning of the Northern Ireland state, 
an event which would be viewed in very different ways from the different communities. So, but right across, there are a whole range of events which, have, which are, are disputed. My own belief, and I've got to finish now, my own belief, and I'll just finish on this, is I have a very strong view that we may be reaching a sort of a commemoration fatigue, that we don't need the big-ticket events, many of which took place in the earlier period. What we need, say, and it's simply my own view, is for the Civil War, for example, I would prefer that there just be one public state event that would be a major act of reconciliation involving all groups and backed up by the sort of cultural events, the music and the drama so forth, commissioned for the occasion, uh, which accompanied many of the uh, commemorations last year. But most important of all, I believe that the archives and the archives and the archives should be used to the fullest possible extent to try to piece together the story of what happened. When the state and the Irish army opened the archives, it knew it would be releasing material which does not speak well of the army, which details many activities which were reprehensible. It knows that in opening the archives, it is allowing, as far as is possible, the full truth to be told. So I hope that we will have the maturity to depend on our historians, to listen to our historians, and let the archives be opened and let the pieces fall where they may. And I think that would be the greatest of all signs of maturity on this. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this History Hub podcast. To listen to many more podcasts, including podcasts from the Commemorating Partition and Civil Wars in Ireland project, go to historyhub.ie.